everybody, and welcome to another brand new episode of T Watches a Scary Movie. My name is T, and of course, we're talking scary movies. I appreciate you all tuning in for another brand new episode. Remember, new episodes go up every Wednesday night at 8.30 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. If you are listening to the audio-only version of this, that means you are checking this out via Podbean, and I appreciate you listening in. Make sure to hit that subscribe button and like, comment, and share. And if you're seeing my face and this fantastic Christmas sweater, yes, uh, you can see I got Stripe up here. And then uh, if I go higher, there's my gizmo. This is my fun gremlins christmas sweater i've worn this before this is actually my favorite holiday sweater that i got um it's one of those random amazon ones that like somebody makes and then like a week or two later it's gone so i might snag this one this shit is nice though man it's all soft and warm and everything uh but i digress if you're watching the video version you're watching us here on youtube which you can subscribe to us at youtube.com slash c slash theron reynolds scary movie again that's youtube.com slash c slash theron Reynolds scary movie also find me on Twitter uh, AXDEW AXDU uh, for those y'all that are wondering where I got that screen name that is not a mispronunciation for Andrew or anything like that which used to happen all back in the day when I was playing uh, gaming online which I still do um, no uh, I got tired of trying to find screen names back in the day for all like my different like online shit and stuff like that that said Theron or anything like that so I said fuck it I'm just gonna put a bunch of random letters and AXDU was created went in a circle it worked and that is last so if you find me on twitter axdew uh and then of course if you're joining our watch parties the watch parties are officially in the discord that's discord.gg slash t scary movie discord.gg slash t scary movie um if you go to our facebook page which man got a lot of links today facebook.com slash groups slash t scary movie again facebook.com slash groups slash t scary movie our Facebook group is where you can find out what watch parties we have going on. We typically do at least one a week after the new episode. We watch a couple of movies. And then uh, we've been getting back to our TV watch parties lately as well, too. Um, this week, we got a chance to watch uh, both Dexter and Chucky. was the season finale of Chucky. Oh, so, so good. Um, and we got another episode of Dexter New Blood. We're going to discuss both of those. And then tonight... Uh, we are actually going to be doing Last Night in Soho and Resident Evil, the final chapter in our later watch party. So, uh, yeah, get to the Facebook group, get to the Discord so you can find info on that. As well, I put up written reviews, unboxing, stuff like that as well, too. Some of y'all might have saw I put up written reviews for Last Night in Soho and Resident Evil. Welcome to uh, Raccoon City this past week. Uh, I'm going to try to do that more and more. Uh, I'm getting better about putting written reviews out because, y'all, I'm really trying to make a big go out of this here. So it helps us lot you put those out there you like you comment share them and everything um because here's hoping we make some uh make some progress with that but it has been a uh it's been a fun week folks we had thanksgiving we watched uh black friday thanks killing three and ghostbusters <laughs> thank y'all for making it through thanks killing three i love that movie i think it's hilarious it knows how bad it is it's not meant to be a good movie so you just have fun with it um but I appreciate y'all tuning in. Clearly, you can see I'm in my Christmas sweater, as I've already talked about. It is December, folks, and uh, we got a lot of fun coming up for you. We're not going to do uh, the the uh, Christmas horror like we did kind of last year. Like, yeah, we got Krumpus coming up, but 
we watched a good chunk of Christmas horror last year, and I kind of don't want to retread that. Like maybe we'll jump back to those like next year, but we're not really going to retread that. So we have a lot of fun stuff coming up for y'all. Um, I know that we obviously have uh, Crumpus tonight. I'm saying tonight we have uh, Last Night in Soho, Resident Evil, Welcome to Raccoon City. Uh, next week we are doing Crumpus the Naughty Cut, which I'm super excited about. Week after that we're going to do Antlers and The Empty Man. And then the week after that, just a few days before Christmas, uh, we're going to take it back with family. And we're doing uh, Pitch Black and Riddick. So we got a great December coming for you uh, before we end things off with the best of 2021. Best and worst of 2021. Uh, I should also mention we will not have a, uh, <laughs> we will not have a show uh, first week of the year there just because I'll be on vacation. So it's going to be the first week that we will miss in quite some time. But I appreciate everybody tuning in. Make sure to like, to comment, subscribe, and to share. We're going to get right into things. We have a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to talk about here. Uh, we're going to get started with Chucky. And congratulations to Don Mancini and the rest of the cast and crew on getting that season two renewal. It's exciting. It says it's coming in 2022. We have to assume that they're about to start filming here in the next few months and that we're prepping another October start, which is so, so awesome. Let this show never die. If you recall, we left off on the previous episode with Junior now uh, seemingly becoming Chucky's new apprentice. Junior just killed his father, played by Devin Sawa. And now Andy Barclay has shown up at Junior's house alone as Andy just ditched Kyle to keep her safe. And all the while, while this is happening, Devin has made his way to Charles Lee Ray's house and has now been held captive by Tiffany and Chucky as Nika. And then, of course, we still have Jake and Lexi out there trying to figure out what Chucky's grand plan here is as well. Uh, fracturing all the different groups was a smart idea because now that we're aware that there are even more Chucky dolls out there than we could have ever imagined, it makes sense that there can be action happening in multiple setups in this episode. So that worked out really well. You know, Andy shows up at Junior's home. Uh, Andy knows why he's there, obviously. He knows Chucky is here and that there's been deaths already and that he's got to look out for these signs. So seeing Andy and Junior kind of conversate back and forth now that Junior is this newly mint minted killer and everything was so, so suspenseful and tense because the entire time we're all just worried for Andy. It's like we just got Andy back. We just got Alex Vincent back doing this shit again. We don't want to lose him that quick. So we're so tense the entire uh, time that Junior and Andy are talking. And Andy clearly knows that something's off here in this case. And I love the fact that after... You know, 30, 40 years, or 30 years, excuse me, after 30 years there, we're showing that these characters mature and they have these smarts to them because it's not like Andy was dumb. Andy was a kid, you know, in the first three entries and everything. So he's going to think like a kid does. But the fact that as Andy's going in Junior's house, he's checking closets, he's checking bathtubs, like he's literally looking for Chucky, not believing a word that Junior is saying until it looks like for all intents and purposes, all right, I guess he was telling the truth. And even Andy knows there's some bullshit happening with that as well, too. Obviously, something's up at that point. But from there, we kind of start moving around. Uh, we find out that the doll that Jake did bring back to uh, to his house, we knew already that Chucky was alive in that doll there. But Jake and Lexi find out that that doll is alive as well, too, as it comes to attack him. And they are saved by Kyle 
who shows up trying to find Andy to get to him before Chucky has a chance to take him or anybody else out. And again, in another genius sense of writing here on this episode, Kyle not wanting to babysit two kids as they go to take on a murderer, multiple murderers at that point, uh, decides to drug Jake and Lexi as a way to keep them out of the events that are going on. And such an ingenious move. I know, like, we always look at horror stuff and it's like, well, you know, the strength in numbers, but these kids haven't been successful with a lot. They're, they're figuring things out, but in terms of actual damage against Chucky, they've kind of been lacking against that. Um, and so... It goes on to where uh, Devin, Kyle, Andy, Tiffany, Nika, and our various Chuckies all end up at the house of Charles Lee Ray. We get some very, very interesting interactions to where Chucky and Tiffany have been tense since Bride of Chucky. We know that the way that film ended was that uh, they basically turned on each other. Chucky killed Tiffany for the first time at that point. And it wouldn't be the last... Oh, wait, no. He killed her first at the beginning of the movie, then killed her again at the end of the movie. So it's not like this is anything new. They've had a tense relationship since Bride of Chucky leading up until now. And the thing we've seen in this series is that Jennifer Tilly, or excuse me, uh, Tiffany, she's in the body of Jennifer Tilly. <laughs> but Tiffany, though, might have a very big interest in Nika. For good or for bad there she has an interest in nika and chucky doesn't like that so multiple times in this episode chucky got very very close to killing off uh killing off tiffany and man tiffany managed to keep herself alive in the most interesting of ways and it is interesting because we have to remember there are multiple chuckies and there are multiple uh, at least one other tiffany that's out there right now and that they don't share a collective consciousness. It's kind of like they have all of Chucky's memories and things up until the point to where he fractures his soul. So all these other Chucky's aren't aware of what Chucky and Nika's body has been doing or what certain uh, certain dolls have been doing either. So I find that, that concept fascinating because Tiffany also revealed to us uh, through flashback as well that she called the cops on Chucky the night of the original movie. If you recall, over the course of Child's Play 1 and Curse of Chucky, we find out that Chucky had Nika, Nika's mom held captive, stabbed her in the stomach, therefore paralyzing Nika. And then uh, Tiffany apparently called Detective Norris to find Chucky, and that's where the whole shootout happens, and he transfers his soul into the, doll, uh, into the doll's body. So we're getting a lot of good callbacks here. In addition, we got another Glenn, Glinda name drop as well. Um... And we got a Chucky massacre. We're not going to talk about how on the nose it is that Chucky was stabbing asses uh, and how LGBTQ friendly this series really is. Because I feel there's something in what Chucky was doing along with his later line to Jake of saying that's so gay. Like, I feel that is the most respectful that's so gay I've ever heard in my lifetime. But there were so many deaths in this episode. Chucky killed so many people at that Frankenstein movie that Lexi's mom decided to go on with. Um, her husband got killed for the second time in the Chucky franchise, which is pretty awesome. I hope they bring him back again as another character to get killed a third time. Uh, but the theater scene was so intense uh chucky got killed multiple times in this episode as well too and i don't want to spoil everything because there's so much fun here with this we finally get our tiffany doll appearance which i knew 
had to be coming and the finale really leaves us off with a lot of questions to be answered in season two but in a good way in a really really good way that we're all excited for what could be coming next to this franchise and all of these characters um we got a fun little coda here to where chucky was sitting near a fireplace basically telling us the story of season one of chucky which one being a smart ass would tell you that he's going to triumph over all of this but two you could also reverse that and just say that's just don mancini being a smart ass doesn't necessarily mean that, that all this ends with chucky winning but uh it's hard to see how it doesn't real princess vibe uh princess bride vibes coming off of that scene that was hilarious and um uh, john with bloody disgust they actually had tweeted out he's like yeah if you could have chucky just narrate every episode in the next season that'd be great i am not against that that would be fantastic i think it would make uh, it would be more fun to have it sporadic have it at the first episode uh maybe like the halloween episode and then the season finale or do it just like princess bride and have it just be random throughout the season like you know chucky will just kill somebody have chucky pop up be like yeah can you believe that i just stabbed that guy in the throat you know something like that would be fucking hilarious just to have those random pop-ups uh but a strong season finale uh, there were some pacing issues with the season as a whole, but I do feel that Don Mancini has helped Chucky to reestablish itself as honestly the top, the top horror franchise that's out there. And I say that respectfully to, you know, your Nightmare on Elm Street, your Friday the 13th and all that stuff there as well. I know those films uh, have done well over the last 40 years as well, too. We've got a lot of installments in those and Halloween and everything, but I think it would be hard to argue over the fact that we've had 30 years of continuity in this series 30 years of the same cast in this series the same creator all that means a lot it means a heck of a lot here honestly um to where we don't get that with these other series so chucky really has a lot going for it but i'm excited for season two we'll get that next year uh yeah that's chucky season finale folks Woo! all right oh man uh yeah guys chucky is so so good um man season two Woo! it's gonna be fire man absolute fire they're killing it over there uh i'm excited i am so excited and again uh if you haven't had a chance check out my interview with alex vincent i did back in october definitely give it a watch uh great interview great guy so happy him to have this uh on his plate this year and everything as well and then you can also check back another previous episode where we do a recap of the series up until the end of cult of chucky which is all very uh very relevant but now uh let's talk a little dexter let's talk a little dexter here now so if you recall uh we left off in the previous episode to where dexter was finishing covering up the uh death and disappearance of matt caldwell um but was a little confused because his father played by clancy brown claimed that he had heard from matt that he had talked to him which we know isn't true because dexter killed matt so something else is very clearly going on another spider i swear guys ow fuck ah i think i got it 
and if not, there'll be a dangerous spider going around. Fantastic. All right, uh, uh, after killing a spider. Uh, so anyway, um, we're trying to figure out what the mystery is. We also saw in the last episode that Harrison was struggling a bit um, with his new friends at school and everything, and there might be some issues going on with him. This episode unpacked a lot with uh, with Harrison, for sure. Things kind of got moving extremely quickly. I didn't think things would move as quick as quick as it did here um there was an incident at the school that uh at the local high school that uh dexter enrolled harrison into and they went on lockdown and we find out that dex uh dexter's son harrison his friend ethan who he had made in the previous episode told him he was being catfished by uh uh, uh sheriff angela's daughter audrey yeah audrey's her name um uh by audrey's friends and uh, Harrison told Ethan all about this, and then they started becoming even closer. And then Ethan kind of showed Harrison some problematic stuff. We're talking like school shooter, you know, uh, school incident kind of shit and stuff like that. And so we knew something was probably going to end up happening, but we didn't know exactly what. And things moved rather quickly here as Harrison was involved in an incident with Ethan. And now it's really, really making us start to worry about where Harrison's head really is like thus far we know there's a darkness within Harrison but the rule about the show here really is that it's hard to get more than one good serial killer uh Dexter is like the exception to the rule he had Harry he had the code and all that nobody else had that it got close with Zach and the last season of Dexter I'm pretty sure it was last season of Dexter where or the previous last season of Dexter, um, who he took, Dexter took Zach under his wing and tried to teach him the code and everything. And it was working out pretty well until Zach was murdered by, um, by, uh, I forget her name, but the person who gave Harry the code, it's her son, um, Dr. Can't remember, whatever. Um, and so I'm interested to see what's going to happen here with Harrison, because I had assumed, uh, off the last episode, Harrison probably killed somebody in foster care if he did go to foster care now i'm not so sure and now um i'm not even sure he didn't have anything to do with hannah's death still i don't know um but clearly there is a darkness within harrison it's not as innocent as uh dexter's can be at times because he's in control of that and it was interesting for dexter and his dark passenger to kind of play out the entire episode trying to come to the conclusion of whether or not harrison uh had a dark passenger and ultimately to realize that he does and some uh, there's going to need to be a talk that happens. And you can tell Dexter is obviously trying to be careful about all of this because uh, son or not, Dexter has obviously a lot of bad ties in Miami. He's a serial killer. He's the Bay Harbor butcher. Um, and there's certain shit that can't get out there. And we don't know whether or not Harrison is going to abuse that for his own gain as Harrison has already shown that he's presumably been doing a few other things that he really shouldn't be doing either. So we don't know what's going to end up happening with that, but I'm excited to see that play out. And in addition to that, things got a little bit deeper with Kurt Caldwell as well, who had to then sell the story of Matt's disappearance to Sheriff Angela. And it's interesting because it seems very clear. Uh, it seems because again, we're assuming right now that um, uh, Kurt Caldwell played by Clancy Brown is the killer of this season. The one that used the sniper rifle to kill the girl in the uh, other episode previously. Um, and so it's interesting to see how this is all turning out. Like, is he covering up his own murders? But then it seems also a little too on the nose that he takes yet another girl by the end of this episode to that same cabin where the other one was killed. So where I thought was a red herring with the mayor of the town, 
being a red herring for Kurt being an actual killer. I wonder now if they're working together. I wonder now if they're actually working together and the mayor is the killer, but Kurt is still very much involved with that. I'm very interested to see um, what's coming, what's coming with that there. I don't want to get too much into spoilers, but podcaster Molly Park played by the real world, Jamie's uh, the real world's Jamie Chung uh, is helping Sheriff Angela kind of look into some of these missing persons cases because we're starting to realize that uh, this town of Iron Lake has had issues a lot longer than they think and that it's not just disappearances going on. Something more sinister is here at play. So we'll see what ends up happening with that. Another uh, another mention here to where I'm loving their opening. Um, uh, I uh, firmly into that camp there now. Don't miss the old opening. That works for them. But here I love that we get like the little cold opening right into the Dexter New Blood title, which is like it's such a fun snap to go right to it. And then they do the quick like it's almost like a recap of what you're going to see over the episode. And uh, I've been trying to work that out the last couple. But then now I, I fully realize is that we're getting our glimpse of the things they're going to go over in the episode itself um and we had callbacks to trinity in this episode we had callbacks to dexter's own uh creation as a serial killer and everything as well too we know john lithgow is guest starring on this uh season i'm interested to see if he's gonna pop up as harrison's dark passenger or possibly another incarnation of dexter's dark passenger or if it's going to be a flashback either way very excited to see what ends up happening here uh we're gonna see how it plays out we're gonna see how it plays out so to get right into things let's go ahead and start talking about resident evil welcome to raccoon city so back in 2002 uh an adaptation of the popular resident evil series was released in the theaters it was created by paul ws anderson who we all remember from such other game adaptations as mortal kombat and that spoke a lot for where this could go because while Mortal Kombat is never going to be regarded as this amazing film, it is regarded as one of the be better video game adaptations that hit over the past uh, 40 or 50 years in Hollywood, which there are a lot. Most of them turn out to, to be not so good, like they're cult classics, but they're not actually really good films. And so Paul Anderson coming to do that original Resident Evil movie said a lot about it. Now, me and my best friend Ben, we went and saw it. Our hopes were high. We had read the original George A. Uh, George Romero script, which was fucking boss and very reminiscent of the original game itself. And we were both very disappointed to eventually see this film and see that, number one, at least in that first movie, there was not a single character uh, from the games in, the, in that movie. Not a single one character uh in there and that also we were kind of uh like we only got a few a few monsters we got zombies this was a zombie movie more than anything else which makes sense because back in 2002 zombies were becoming big again so of course you got to lean on that trope and go with it but zombies you get the dogs the cerebuses as they're called um we also got a liquor and then uh that was it really that was really really it and it, it, it kind of stunk because it was over and done with before, like, even had a chance to really get into it. Um, the laser grid scene is still such a highlight to me. I feel that is the most tension that 
Anderson was able to create throughout the entire series. It's a killer fucking scene, by the way. Um, but overall, we, me and my friend Ben left wanting a lot from that film. And the franchise did eventually give you like a bit of like the greatest hits of the Resident Evil series. But if you were coming for a direct adaptation, stars up in the Spencer Mansion, Wesker turning on the team, um, you know, Chris and Jill, Jill sandwiches, lock picks, giant sharks, giant spiders, giant snakes, zombies, crows, dogs, uh, uh, all this shit. If you're wanting to see all of that, that wasn't what you were getting in the movie. And after six films, uh, the Resident Evil series by Paul Anderson made a lot of money, but it was time to reboot it. It really was time to reboot it. I can't blame him for going and making a franchise for his wife, Mila Jojovich. Um, I, I can't blame him for doing that in the least bit at all because, hey, if he can do it and get uh, studios sign off on it, more power to him for it. But we as game fans wanted something a little bit closer to the source material. And now we get Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City as written and directed by Johan Roberts. Uh, and if you recognize that name, which you should, it's because Johan Roberts does have a few other films that we've seen that are actually really, really good, too. Uh, for example, he did 47 Meters Down, the shark movie with Mandy Moore, which was really, really good, actually. Um, and when we've gotten a lot of really bad shark movies over the last 20 years, that's a really, really good one. He did The Strangers Pray at Night as well, too. That's the sequel to The Strangers film. Uh, much better than the original one. Uh, changed kind of the feel of the film itself. It made it work way better than the first one ever could. Um, but we get Welcome to Raccoon City. Um, a lot of lot of new and up. I say newer. Uh, newer and up and coming names who have been making a name for themselves in Hollywood over the last five years or so. Uh, uh, Kaya Scoderlio. Uh, plays Claire Redfield. Robbie Amell plays her brother Chris Redfield. Hannah John Kamen plays Jill Valentine. Uh, Umbrella Academy's Tom Hopper plays Adam uh, Albert Wesker. And Avon Georgia plays Leon S. Kennedy. And uh, those are really making up our big game characters here in this film, while it is reminiscent of the original movie. So we get the stars team going to Spencer Mansion to investigate uh, some team members who have not checked in. Meanwhile, Claire Redfield has arrived back in Raccoon City to find her brother to kind of talk about uh, some shit that she's discovered about Umbrella. And Leon S. Kennedy is the rookie police officer who is showing up to the uh, RPD for his first day on the job, which just so happens to be the same day that not only is there a zombie outbreak and a uh, viral outbreak in Raccoon City, but... Umbrella is also going to be destroying Raccoon City within just a few hours to contain this test that they're running. And that's your plot behind Resident Evil. I'm not really spoiling much, y'all. If you have played the first two games, that is really what we are seeing here over the course of this movie. Uh, they do an adaptation of the best hits of Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2. And as I've already mentioned, it is a better game ad uh, adaptation than Paul W.S. Anderson's film. Uh, we get, number one, all of our characters that, you know, we, we grew up and loved, or at least a lot of us grew up and loved, like Claire and Chris and Jill and Leon and Wesker, and even Chief Irons is there as well, too. And we have a lot of the other background characters. Ba uh, Brad Vickers is there. The Birkins are in there. Um, and then there's a post credit scene with another big Resident Evil 2 character showing up as well, which you can probably guess who that is hint hint red dress um but 
we get a lot of the characters. We get a lot more of the monsters in this first film, which was super fun to get as well. So I say a lot more, not really. I mean, we had the uh, we had the zombies, we had the dogs, we had the crows, we had the liquors, uh, we had the uh, the G monster, um, and I think I think that was about it there. Uh, but it still felt like they were fleshing things out a lot more than what we got in again the original film which i hate to keep making comparisons now of course they did take a few liberties with the source material which was to be expected they didn't do a direct adaptation of it for example they gave claire and chris the redfields a bigger connection to umbrella in this story um leon uh had way more involvement with stars here than he really did around this time in the games and everything as well too um and that's okay because again uh paul anderson proved that you don't necessarily need to take everything from the games in order to make a successful film and it seems that filmmakers in welcome to raccoon city were looking to make this movie the uh the anti anderson resident evil film they wanted it to be for the gamers they wanted to be for those people who were uh who were looking for this so many years ago and unfortunately i think the problem is is that um, when trying to do fan service, they weren't able to produce the the kind of movie that really should have come out here. Um, it's it, it's not a bad movie. It's it's not a bad movie, and I wouldn't even I I wouldn't be able to call it that because I did enjoy the movie itself. It is a better Resident Evil film, but it's not a better movie than Paul Anderson's. Um, it still tends to ride that line between action and horror in this, and this definitely has. Um, uh, it definitely seems like it, it wants to convince you it has a bit more horror than the original Resident Evil film. But I then I just go back to that laser grid scene and thinking about how the suspense, uh, the suspense and the tension in that was far more than anything really in this film. Um, they do a great scene, a fantastic scene in here um, when Chris is at the mansion and he's fighting off a bunch of zombies, um, just shooting a bunch, cutting, uh, trying to stab a bunch and everything. And it's actually one of the better scenes, uh, one, one of the absolute better scenes in a uh, in a video game adaptation. Honestly, I had a lot of fun with that scene. I thought that was super, super cool. But beyond that, uh, it, it's just kind of all over the place. Um, I like the fact they bring back the old, I'm talking old, old graphics for Resident Evil, the, the title cards and everything like that. We're not getting any of the new shit, so that was kind of cool to see. And then also deciding that, you know what, we're just going to put it in 98 to make it fall more in line with the game as well. I thought that was an inspired choice as well, too, honestly. I really enjoy uh, the nostalgia behind that. And I also love the fact that we got a zombie scene to uh, Jennifer Page. Jennifer Page's crush, y'all remember, he's just... A little crush. Y'all remember that song? Oh my god, I fucking love that song. There is a zombie scene set to that fucking song in this, um, which is so awesome. So, so awesome. Um, but I don't know. Uh, the film seemed like I, we were waiting for it to start, and I've used that to explain other movies before, but it couldn't help shake this feeling like I was waiting for things to just get moving. And I think the problem was, was that Again, they did try to adapt all pretty much most of the events from Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2, and that was a mistake. There's a reason why Resident Evil 2 is two discs. There's a reason why there are two different characters you can play as across Resident Evil 1 and Resident Evil 2. Like, there's four stories across those two games. So, trying to fit four stories in a almost two-hour movie 
just really doesn't work that well in most cases. I mean, you could barely do that in three hours, but some films get it done. This is not one that did that well, and I couldn't help shaking the feeling that I enjoyed both sets of stories between Claire's group and, um, you know, the stars up at Spencer Mansion, but... I felt like we should have only been focusing on one. Like if you made this movie just about Leon and Claire and going through Raccoon City and her trying to find her brother and everything, and we don't really see much of what's happening at the Spencer Mansion, and then like our sequel focuses entirely on Spencer Mansion, I would have been cool with that because it seemed like there was a lot to really wring out from that wet rag between both of those uh, both of those stories, but they didn't go that route. So I felt like we got two unfinished stories, two very rushed stories on both ends, especially in the case of the characters who don't fare so well. Like I do feel that the Redfields do pretty good in this film. Uh, in in this film, um, both uh, 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 Chris and Claire are our main characters in this, and both are very likable. Um, I like the fact that Claire's personality is entirely different from the game, so she's rough around the edges. She's definitely way more serious. She's not as fun as she was in the games, and I thought that was an interesting choice to take with her there. Um, it made her stand out a little bit more. Chris was definitely a little bit more uh, easygoing, which is weird. It's like they swapped their personalities around in this, um, but both are very enjoyable. Uh, Leon was, was fine as well, too. They made an interesting choice to really make him a bit of a geek, honestly. Um, and a geek in the sense of that they played the rookie card really, really hard. And even in the game, like, you know, or in the games, you got the idea that, like, yeah, Leon's a rookie, but, like, he's not an idiot. Like, he can kind of put two and two together, and he's he can be incredibly helpful. And he's just the butt of so many jokes in this film. Um, didn't like that too much, but I did like I, – I liked him in the movie. Like, it, it's kind of weird. I know those two things don't go together, but he is enjoyable. It's just weird what they do with the character. Um and Jill and Wesker suffer the most, honestly. Um, big spoilers here, but if you played the game, you already know this. Wesker does turn on the team just like he does in the games, just like he did in the previous films. Like, Not that he was ever with the good guys or anything like that. Uh, but the problem is it falls flat because we have no reason to care. We have no investment into stars really as a whole. We have less investment into Wesker. So when the betrayal happens, quick. And that's the problem with pacing in this film is that it's like we get introduced to Wesker and five minutes later, he's betraying the team. And at least in the game, it's like we built up this relationship. You know, Wesker helped out a lot. He's there. And then finally, when it turns out he's like the bad guy, it's like, oh, no, man, come on. You're with us. You're supposed to be our friend. And I don't know this. It's like, yeah, like he's the bad guy, whatever, you know. Um, it fell flat. It fell flat incredibly hard. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest problems with the film. As well, Jill. Jill just didn't get a lot to do. And Hannah John came in is awesome. But they didn't give her much to do in this film, honestly. Um, it's a good movie. I would recommend... <clears throat> so again, I take it back to... It's a better Resident Evil film. If you're looking for a movie to remind you of playing PlayStation back in 1998 and 1999, this is definitely going to help you do that. But if you're looking for a better time watching a movie than the original Resident Evil film, you might find that a little lacking. Either way, should be out to streaming platforms here in about a month. I'd say uh, early to mid-January we should have it available there, so we'll watch it together later on. And that brings us to our second and final movie of the night, Last Night in Soho, the latest and greatest from Edgar Wright. So uh, Edgar Wright 
has made two very different kind of movies in his time. He's made his older horror com- uh, horror comedy, like kind of uh, uh, homages, like in Shaun of the Dead and Hot Fuzz and The World's End. And then he started making a different kind of more uh, more serious kind of film, the more of the Hollywood film, I feel, with like Scott Pilgrim vs. the World and Baby Driver and now Last Night in Soho. And both style of films are, are really good. And Wright knows what he's doing. And this film is no different. Now, right off the jump, I'm going to warn you that this is as much of uh, this is definitely it's it's a it's a horror story for sure, but it's very much a horror story similar to uh, like Candyman, like this year's Candyman. Um, not in the sense of it's about racial and pre- uh, prejudices and stuff like that, but in since the real horror is kind of the message it's t- trying to tell, not so much monsters on screen or murderers or anything like that. And it's a slow burn to get to the eventual horror, but it's absolutely worth it though. Um, the, the, the film, so it tells the story of Eloise Ellie Turner, who is an aspiring fashion, uh, fashion designer who is moving to London to go to art school. Basically. Now, uh, we find out that Ellie is also, uh, a big psychic, uh, an empath, whatever you want to call it. She can see visions of dead people. And that's kind of like stunted her ability to do a lot in life because she deals with that. And one of the biggest, heaviest burdens on her is her mother because she sees her mother's ghost. Her mother committed suicide and her mother kind of followed the same journey of moving to London and trying to make it for herself. And it kind of just fell flat and she ultimately ended up taking her own life. And Ellie is determined to make something of herself and kind of carve out a different path. So she goes to London and she tries to fit in and make new friends and everything and just finds herself getting more and more overwhelmed until she decides to move out of her uh, her school dorm room and find a nearby apartment on her own so she can kind of self-regulate. And when she moves in that apartment, she starts having visions of this other woman, uh, Sandy, who... Uh, is on her own parallel journey. Journey. Sandy is played by Anya Taylor-Joy and is on her own journey coming to London trying to make it big as a singer. And she meets the uh, emphatic Jack, played by uh, Matt Smith, the Doctor Whom fame, who uh, sweeps her off her feet and promises her the, uh, a start in a career of being a singer and hopes that she can make it big. And we find out that uh, things aren't always the way they seem and that that dream boat might not always be a dream, might be a nightmare instead. And the movie takes us through these parallel journeys of uh, Ellie Turner and Sandy and even, you know, Ellie's mom as we see these different women go through uh, the harsh reality of uh, coming to the big city sometimes and trying to live the life they want and the real terrors that can exist in that world. And I found myself in the first 30 minutes not really knowing what to make of the movie. I was uh, I was bored. I, I'm going be on, to be honest with I was bored. I was expecting a different kind of movie. But as it unfolded and as I started realizing really uh, what what was going on here, what Ellie's actual connection to everything was, who Sandy was, um, the characters around her and what was going on, it got really, really, really good, honestly. And that's the one of the biggest things about this film is that it is a very much slow burn to get to uh, the more enjoyable parts of the movie itself. Um, but with that said, 
it's a very different kind of story and a very a very relevant one as well too without trying to spoil really what we're uh what we're really talking about here um ellie herself is incredibly likable um uh thomason mckenzie uh who you might remember from old or jojo rabbit plays ellie turner and is just she's she's a very likable uh a very likable actor and that makes her endearing when she's going through everything that she's dealing with. We know that she's not going crazy, but the fact that nobody else can see her around her, I feel like any anybody in anybody else in any other movie, we get annoyed by that. Be like, oh my god, shut up, let's move on. Can this can this go somewhere? And like we feel legitimately bad for Ellie because she's a very earnest person, and she's not somebody. Uh, she's not like one, uh, one of those protagonists that does a lot of bad shit. They're like, well, you kind of have this coming and everything. Like she mostly is staying on the up and up and doing what she can to get through in school and like, you know, pay homage to her mother. And she's dealing with this horrific visions over and over every single night that's interfering with her while she's awake as well, too. And that very much gave me uh, gave me some uh, visions of Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake if anything, which is going to surprise a lot of you because one of the, uh, one of the cool elements of the remake, whether you liked it or not, I thought was later in the movie when they're having the micro naps and things are swapping back and forth from being awake to being asleep, being awake to being asleep. And we got a little bit of that in this film as well, too, that most of Ellie's visions tend to be at night, like when she goes to sleep or when she's, you know, getting drowsy and shit like that. Um, but then towards the end of the film, uh, the visions start happening while she's absolutely awake and like other shit is going on. And I thought that's not only scary, that's ingenious because she can't escape. It's a mental thing at that point there. And she can't get away from any of this at all. And I just love that. Um, Matt Smith, you know, did a great job in the role of Jack. Um, he's, he's played a lot of different roles since leaving Dr. Who. And so um, this might not be a very different role that you're seeing him if you've seen some of his other works. Um, but he does it so well because uh, he does play the charismatic young man uh, so good that's hiding something un uh, underneath the surface. Terrence Stamp, uh, great job popping up here as um, as a uh, as you know a miss in this film as well too is the best way best way to put him. He has a haunting presence with Ellie throughout the film as well too. Um, there, there's a lot to unpack with how this movie really did make me feel, uh, cause it did get a little convoluted in certain places, but again, um, you have to get to the end of the film to really understand everything else that's going on. And I do feel that a lot of the reason, uh, reason this film works is because, uh, Thomas and McKenzie just did such a good job portraying just that utter sense of hopelessness that she has and the pain and the hurt and the fear that she's going through. Uh, just so, so much fun. And one scene I especially need to call out is that, uh, after a party uh, that she ends up going to with her friend John in the film, played by Michael uh, Zhao, um, they end up back at her apartment and end up, you know, getting close to hooking up. And throughout the entire scene, there is so much consent in that scene. And John being a black man makes it even more important in my eyes. Um, man, I really enjoyed that scene just because um, I, I feel like that's not typically shit that we see in movies. And the fact that 
Ellie uh, has been shown to have, you know, some mental health issues and dealing with some supernatural issues as well, too. I feel it's even more important for uh, John to really check in on her and make sure she's good to go. And just a really, really uh, a good scene just for seeing shit like that. Um, we also get Diana Rigg in a very important role to the movie as well, too, kind of being Ellie's uh, not mentor. Mentor is not the right word, but and not even like a, a guardian or anything like that. But she's somebody who's very much looking out for Ellie and um, it, it, it's, uh, it can't downplay the importance of her in this film. Diana Rigg brings so much to this movie itself. Um, and as a whole, I mean, I can't get into a lot of other things here, but as a whole, this cast just really blends together so well. There's so many, I feel different kind of actors, uh, in this film working together and they all make this presentation work really well and great writing, by the way, too. uh, Edgar Wright co-writes the film with Christy Wilson Carnes. Um, and they do a good job. There's not so much in the way of comedy in this, which is very different from a lot of previous Edgar Wright films. Cause he does put a lot of comedy in his films here, even baby driver. And there really wasn't any to speak of in this one. Uh, but it's still a really, really enjoyable film that'll leave you thinking about it long after you finish the movie up so i'm excited to watch it with y'all uh but that's gonna do it for us here tonight on t watches the scary movie i appreciate everybody tuning in make sure to like comment subscribe and to share and make sure you're back next week where we're going to be watching krumpus the naughty cut we are only doing one watch party next week because we only have the one movie so we're going to do uh our tv watch party and movie watch parties all combined on the same day on wednesday so check the facebook group check the discord for that information but y'all i appreciate you tuning in as always i'm t we've been watching scary movies stay scared